Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yanez. This week, my guest is Alejandra Matos. Alejandra is a licensed therapist and international coach based out of the Dominican Republic. She helps her clients achieve healthy relationships, break from toxic patterns, and manage work-life balance. She is passionate about helping her clients in all their relationships, whether it be work, friendships, familiar, or romantic, but particularly the relationships we have with ourselves. We discuss all the chisme around toxic relationships and how they don't just happen to us, but how it's our co-creation and narrative. Yes, it's a longer episode, but I promise it is well worth it. Also, I do want to let you know that we do discuss some abusive behavior on this episode and listeners should do whatever they need to do to take care of themselves. Also, please be mindful that none of this content should be substituted for therapy or mental health services. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. I am so excited. I, since we scheduled this time, I have been so excited about sitting down with you because we are going to go into some chisme that has not been gone into on the podcast before. How are you today? I am also extremely excited. Um, I have been thinking about this podcast like since the moment like we scheduled it. And yeah, I'm just, I'm ready for today. <laughs> yes. Well, what we're going to talk about today is toxic relationships in all the forms, right? But before we get into that chisme, we got to talk about the wine. And I know because everything that we're talking about, you're the professional and you're not drinking today, but I, you know, it's a hard job. I have to drink every episode. It's a very hard job, but somebody has so to difficult. do it. Yes. So difficult. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So today I'm drinking a McBride Sisters Collection Sauvignon Blanc. It's their, their New Zealand version of Sauvignon Blanc. And yes. So I'm hoping this is, I, I tend to read the backs of the labels to try and find the flavors and everything because if it's really like has grapefruit, I try and stay away from it, but it didn't say. So I got it. And then when I brought it home, I looked at tasting notes. It has grapefruit. But it says, one sip of this delicate citrusy Sauvignon Blanc and you'll be immediately transported to New Zealand. It has notes of grapefruit and nectarine. So I'm hoping the nectarine is a little bit more forward with the perfect amount of acidity to cool you off on a warm, sum warm summer's day. Because it's shipped from New Zealand, it's not, it's highly regulated. So they're not able to ship to Michigan, Missouri, Iowa, and Maine. But we're, I'm in California, so I don't need to worry about that. 
So I'm going to take a sip. Okay. The grapefruit isn't super forward, so it's something I can drink. I mean, I definitely taste it, but I think I'm even more aware that I read it. But it's definitely not as forward as I had one last week that was really grapefruit forward. And I was like, I'm saving that for, for a company or for to, to cook or something to put <laughs> So, okay, now that we're done with that, I'm just ready. I'm just ready to get into this cheese Let's so go. Much. So normally, like I said, I normally talk a lot about people's history and where they came from, but there's just so much to get into. We're going to go just not as deep into that as I normally would. But you are a licensed therapist in the Dominican Republic, girl, you in the DR. <laughs> what brought, like, what was it about therapy, about psychotherapy, but and specifically working on relationships that appealed to you that made you want to do this? Well, it has been very interesting because when I started going to therapy many years ago, right, I started going to therapy because I went through a breakup. And when I went through that breakup, I realized, like, I don't, I don't know how to handle this on my own. So I went to see my therapist and we started connecting through there. And through the exploration of that relationship, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much underneath. Um, and within myself that I'm discovering because I'm analyzing this relationship and like everything that it involved. And then once I got my, I got my Fulbright scholarship, then I moved to New York for two years to get my mental health counseling psychology master's degree. I started working with survivors of domestic violence and interpersonal violence. And that was a moment in which I got to connect um, deeper with like trauma, the cycle of like violence and control and all of those different things. So I really got to connect with a lot of other strong self-identified women who were going through the stories, who were like, finding resilience, who were battling like motherhood and being an, like, and being working class and also having this story and all of these different things. So I really admired their stories so I was like okay I see myself working trauma but then what happened was that I got in a toxic relationship with someone and it was one of the most life-changing experiences I've ever had and while trying to process that on my own trying to find resources online then going to therapy then seeking like um support from my friends and like colleagues, I start realizing, wow, this goes so much deeper than I ever thought like someone could get to me. And I saw my self-esteem go down to the floor. I saw like how I had isolated myself from friends and family. And I just saw all of these different changes and like the level of distress that I was experiencing that I was like, I need to understand why this relationship got to me the way that it did. So then I started like learning about relationships in general and then trying to learn more and more about those toxic relationships. And to go a little bit beyond the spectrum of domestic violence or interpersonal violence, because a lot of the people will tell you, oh, but my partner or this person hasn't ever laid a hand on me. And that is true. 
but there are also a lot of other harmful behaviors that can happen in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Just because someone doesn't touch you doesn't mean that they're not hurting you. Oh, yes. So you're, you're describing one of my old relationships. Oh, and I bet you so many people, not I bet, I know so many people who have gone through things like that. What, how would you describe a toxic relationship in the most general terms? Maybe it doesn't need to be specifically romantic, but just in general. Of course. Now, a toxic relationship has this characteristic in which someone, right, and that someone can be a person, can be a system, can be a workplace, right, because toxic relationships uh, are everywhere. That's something that I had to learn. Consciously or unconsciously tries to harm you, manipulate you, diminish you, diminish you in a systematic way. So it's not only one incident of like yelling or like one time that you got super, super jealous and you had like a fight about it. Like, yeah, those are unhealthy behaviors and like one can address that in a relationship. But it's when someone systematically throughout the way that they relate to you makes you feel terrible, regardless if they're conscious or unconscious around the behaviors that they're doing. So you were saying you got into a toxic relationship as you were, even as you were even going to be a therapist and everything you got. Is this something that you were recognizing as you were going through it or when you were in it, you were just, you were so in it because I feel like. Anytime you're in it, you don't see it and other people might see it and you don't believe them. And so people just kind of give up on saying stuff and we'll get way more into that later. But did you, is this something you even recognized while you were in that relationship? Honestly, I didn't because this is the thing. The moment, my, my case is, a, it, I'm sure other people like have gone through it, but my particular, particular case was that the relationship started super well right that's how everything starts like the honeymoon flowers y como wow la mariposita like everybody's in love and you're my soulmate and like everything is just like oh i'm like ready to introduce you to my parents like we're ready for this right (laughs) um but then things started going into like an unhealthy pattern right and something that i do want to clarify and i I want to admit it, like, even me being a therapist and people are like, oh, you're supposed to, have, like, know all of these things. I was also part of the problem. Like, I was also having unhealthy behaviors. And my partner at that moment was also having that. So the relationship broke up. And even though it had a very unhealthy element, like, I could see the beginnings of toxicity while we were together, after the breakup, it got even worse. Really? And, yeah. It's, it got quite complex, <laughs> but the thing is that my friends could see it. My therapist, you know, she, she tried to have me recognize it on my own, but she was like, you know, I'm, I'm noticing these things that really do not make sense that she would see like my changes, like in my behavior and like all of these things. And she's like, why are you so like jumpy? Like if this person is, you know, what? If this person is how you say they are, right? And like, why is this impacting you this way? And it took me forever to recognize it. But then it took me even longer to stop blaming myself for those behavior. Because I feel like a lot of people can recognize them. 
but they think that they are the ones who are causing the other person to behave that way instead of recognizing that, okay, this, like, yeah, of course, I always have a level of, like, responsibility, so I always um, encourage people to self-analyze and to, like, realize how are they contributing or what are some of their unhealthy patterns as well. But to be able to say, I am not causing this person to, like, mistreatment. Like, no one can be violent towards you, like, because you're doing something, like, it's not something that you earn. Violence is not something that you earn. Mm. And I feel like that is a part that people have a harder time understanding. Because it, I feel like it ends up being like a mental thing, right? You're you're being coached that it's your fault. It's your, well, if you wouldn't have done this, if you wouldn't have done this. But mm. we'll get to that towards the end because I feel like, you know, we'll get into all that. But I want to really start off with... um toxic relationships in the workplace because there's so many things that contribute to that and we did have a question that came through so I want to read the whole thing because it's quite extensive but I really think this is is really really important so this is the question over the last few years I've worked mainly in the nonprofit sector which I always thought would be a good fit since their stated missions always seem to match my ideals however I found myself disillusioned with the toxic toxic culture within nonprofits I face situations of blatant racism, being underpaid, underappreciated, and dismissed when asking for a raise that would put me within the same pay grade as white colleagues. Additionally, I've found that the leadership at nonprofits I've worked at are and are white and or male, yet lead teams excuse me, yet lead teams of people of color, particularly women of color, and white supremacy and patriarchal ways of thinking define their quote unquote leadership styles. I've even been at places where I'm supposed to manage a program, yet I ostensibly am not able to make any decisions without the CEO's approval, which can take anywhere from one to six plus months, which leaves me feeling like my program and my work is not important. My question is, how do we cope with these kinds of toxic work relationships, especially at a time when financial security is on everyone's mind due to pandemic and recession? There's a lot there. so much yet everything is true yes that is like that's the thing like it's not like you read that to me and i also read the question right when when they sent it to us and i was like yes like yes to all of that like absolutely you you are not making this up and that is right because when the most toxic relationship we have are systems of of oppression and marginalization. Why? Because they've been implemented for so long that they have an answer for everything. And they have their quote-unquote justifications as to why this is happening. Why black indigenous people of color are this way or that way. And they shouldn't be given these opportunities. Why women shouldn't be given these opportunities. Why um LGBTQ plus individuals like should not have access to these certain services. So that and and among right any and all other marginalized populations. And that is when we start to understand that it is not just one thing. It is a whole system built to oppress. So the first thing that I encourage someone, it seems like the person who sent that is already aware, but I would recommend it to like any other person that's listening to 
to us today is to recognize that that exists, right? To really understand that this is not something like, this is not something that you're making up. This is not something to be playing the victim. It is a system that we need to function. And sadly, it is. it has been designed, it has been built to our disadvantage, right? So that's the first thing that I want to like say, like recognition, awareness of the situation. Then the other thing is to find, and this might be difficult depending on like where we're working, but I feel like finding allies or like people who are going through the same as you or like believe your story, like understand your story. So you're able to like process with them, right? This whole situation and find like, and find that other like-minded people with like with you because these experiences can be very isolating we can think we're the only ones going through them we can think that we're making it up we just and we start to personalize some of those things no maybe it's because i'm not good enough maybe really like i really need to push harder maybe really this this was the wrong career for me right and i feel like finding support is extremely important because it lets you know that you're not going through this alone or you shouldn't be going through this alone because like, you know, this person mentioned, we are going through a play through a moment in time in which there's a lot of financial like distress or like insecurity. So of course I'm not gonna be like, oh, you know, find a better job. Like that is the privilege that would be a very privileged thing for me to say, right? That's not right. like what you need to like have like that is not what would be helpful during this pandemic and even outside of this pandemic. Because it's, it's not, not always just that easy. Even right? outside it's, of the pandemic, it's not always Absolutely. Easy. Absolutely. So I would say awareness, support, and then however you can, right? If leaving this workplace is not an option, right? I would say to try to connect with the values that drew you to the workplace and try to connect and stay with that as you're trying to cope with the job. So like try to connect with your why. Why am I here? Okay, like am I helping people? Am I providing a bridge to like underserved populations to like the services that they need and I'm consistently advocating for that? Like am I connecting to the job that I want to be doing, to the legacy that I want to be um, building for myself? Because I feel like that is something very important because even though external validation is important, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, no, it, it only matters what you think. Like, of course not. We, we care about what other people think. But I think it's also important to be like, this is the reason why I'm doing it. And this is how I am going to kind of see how I'm growing and see what I'm doing and see what I'm building. Like, what are, what is the feedback that I'm receiving from the people that I'm helping? Because usually that that is a very different feedback from, that mm-hmm. you get from the people that you're working with. And lastly, it would be that however you can, right? Because I think that everyone's capacities, everyone's safety, everyone's stability is and resources are very different. But however you can, continue to advocate in the way that you feel safe for what you deserve whether it is having one conversation with one person, bringing it up in a board meeting, educating yourself however you can, like however you can be an advocate for the cause that you feel uh, 
that is happening, like that you feel that you need to connect with, then give yourself that opportunity. And sadly, this is the type of like situation that I feel like I'm putting a lot of responsibility, quote unquote, on the person, right? Which is unfair because again, this is not something someone should be um, taking upon themselves. But while we are dismantling the systems, which is something that we are consistently doing, this is something that you could do to try to find, like, I hope that can be helpful to find some clarity and some, um, at least awareness and assurance of what you're doing and how you can manage this. So I love what you're saying in regards to finding the purpose again, right? Like really can reconnect yourself with the mission, not the person. Because sometimes I think we get so lost in the message of the people trying to disseminate the message that we forget about the message itself. So I think that's a really, especially in these times, right? When we, if you don't have the luxury or privilege of looking for something else, focusing on the people that you're serving and the mission, and instead of the people that are almost becoming the obstacles, as far as the running, like, what are still the things that you can do that still serve the mission? Now, I also like what you were saying in regards to connecting with other people that might be going through this. Where could somebody outside of maybe, I'm sure you could find support in Facebook groups or different types of groups. Where else would you suggest or how would you suggest people find those types of, that type of support outside of it? Because I feel like you can't, you may be able to go within, but there's always that risk when people are, especially nonprofits, but just in the work environment themselves, everybody's always trying to cover their own ass. So you, you only have a limited lane in being able to share that or how much you share with coworkers because you don't know what other information is disseminated outside of that circle. But where else would you suggest people look for that type of support? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, I I know you mentioned the the Facebook groups and and that. And honestly, I would still continue to look into Facebook. But I mean, you could Google like a lot of places that could help with. And even if you can't be finding like oh one particular place that works with people who are experiencing burnout from working on a nonprofit organization, um, try to find places that could help with burnout. Find a place that can help with mindfulness. Find groups who are trying to work on dismantling or decolonizing work and self-worth and relationship with money and all of that. Because even though they won't be talking specifically about your experience, you will still hear ideas that resonate with you. And I think that's super important. Also, obviously, I'm a great advocate for therapy. Um, I also do coaching. So, like, coaching is also something that people can have access to, you know, to kind of, like, have some very specific strategies in which you can handle, like, think about your future and manage your, like, burnout and your relationships. And also, I'm a great believer of teaching other people how to support you. Because sometimes we're like, oh, my friends, they won't know. Like, I, or my family, and that's extremely valid. Like, not everyone has always the energy, or like, we don't always feel safe to share some stuff with the people around us. But I'm, I am a great believer of being with, like, calling a friend or texting a friend, like someone or like a family member that you feel super, super close. And for you to be like, hey, listen, I'm going through something. 
and I just need to like vent for 30 minutes. I don't need feedback. I don't need what I, I don't need for you to tell me what I need to do. I don't, like, no, none of that. I just need to vent. Can you, which, do you have the energy and the space to provide me with that? Those are two and, key questions too, because not everybody has that. And I know for my friends, like I have friends who call me and like, I just need to vent. I'm like, all right, cool. I usually have space for that for my, you know, because I don't have a lot of friends who, I think I've, I've established those relationships with very specific friends that I'm like, Hey, and I can do that to them too. Where I'm like, girl, I just need to talk. I just need to talk. I don't need any. And, and they, and it's vice versa. It's very reciprocal. But there are some people that may not have the space. And even there might be days where I would normally have the space. But if I'm having a bad day, I just may not have that. So to ask, like, do you have the energy? Do you have this space? I think is so respectful that we don't even think about it. But it is truly respectful because, you know, you're basically dumping whatever you're feeling onto somebody else. It's consent and boundaries, two very important things in any and all types of relationships. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure there are more, but you know what? Let's, let's go on to the next thing because we could sit here for every topic. We could probably talk for like an hour. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure like there will be a second part to all of this. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I live for this. I could talk about this for days. Girl, well, I'm glad because this is just, I feel like this is going to be the first of many. When it comes to toxic relationships and family, that's like a whole, I mean, oh my gosh. We've all been there. And even if you don't, like I've even through my family have been through moments, right? And it's not necessarily a toxic family environment, but it's a toxic family environment for a specific moment in time that we've had to work through. What are the things most often people come to about when it comes to toxic familial relationships? And then there's a follow and then we have a question. <laughs> to be honest with you, usually people don't come don't come to my um to my consultations or to my, my sessions or any of with right off the bat telling me that they have a toxic relationship with their family, right? Um, and sometimes, like, they will come, usually people come to me because either work or their romantic relationship. And I love that. And through that exploration, then I try to see, okay, let me gauge if there's a family situation going on here. But for what I've heard from my clients, from what I've experienced as an individual, for what my other like colleagues and all of that, like we talk about kind of like what, what are some of the topics that come up? It's a lot of this idea of loyalty towards family. And I feel like that in the Latinx community is a, especially in our community. It's huge. Like family is an institution on itself that it's, glorified that it's preached upon that it's like there's so much going on when you say family and that's not to say that family is not significant because they are the first circle with which we socialize 
But I am a firm believer that just because someone's family doesn't mean that they're healthy or that they're not harming you mm-hmm. or that you shouldn't put boundaries or like take some space, you know, away from this person just because you're related to them. I'm I mean, it's believer. one of those things, right? When you're a kid, I, to this day, or she, my mom hasn't said it in a while, but growing up, she always used to say, friends will come and go, but your sisters will always be your sisters. They're always there for you. They're always there for you. Look, I'm very fortunate. My sisters are pretty rad. Like, and as we've gotten older, we've become closer and, but you know, but, and that's, and I'm, that's a good situation. Like it, and there's moments where I want to kill my sisters, right? But that's natural. I've not ever had a moment where I'm like, I don't want to ever talk to my sisters again. I've not had that moment with my sisters. But by putting that, like, constantly saying that, right, like, your sisters are always your sisters. Your sister. Like, you're, like you said, it's like putting this loyalty in your head that, well, I can't ever cut off my sister. I couldn't ever do anything. Like I said, no, I've not ever had to experience anything where I've felt like I wanted to do that, but kind of leads into this question, which is, Creating a toxic relationship with your parents. So what this the, this person is asking is, what tips can you give for setting healthy boundaries and creating a mental shift in perspective so we can accept our parents' flaws without fully cutting them off from our lives? Also, how can we navigate a toxic relationship with ourselves, that mental battle of judging us constantly and not being enough? Oh, girl, I feel this so much. Not like I feel this a lot. Woo! I'm like that <laughs> is a whole universe of things to do. But let me try my best to kind of address as much as I can. Okay. So when it comes to parents, right? So complex. Because again, it's this whole idea of like, but they're your parents. They gave you this life. They gave you that body. They gave you this future. Whether you are first generation, second generation, whether you've never left your country, it's always this idea of like your parents really try. Or you don't have those figures, those like healthy figures, but people are like, oh, but they're still your parents. They're still your parents. Like you still got to love them. You still got to take care of them. And it creates this whole like push and pull, right? As to like, I am supposed, like, I am feeling guilty when I start seeing you as a human being, not only as my father, mother, caretaker, like, so I'm supposed to be a bad person because I'm as a daughter, as a son, as an individual, right? I am not having this glorified version of my parents. So I feel like the first thing we need to do is like to understand that it's okay to not see our parents as perfect people. Like, it's okay to sometimes be angry at your parents. It's okay to sometimes be resentful at them. It's okay to sometimes be like, I really need to leave this leave this house. Like, or I cannot go on another vacation with my parents. Like, and for the future, that is out of the question. Or like, I can go out for like five days, but I can go do two weeks. Like, it's okay to see, like, to say that, to think that. I feel like a lot of people think that you either need to love your parents or it's absolute hate when there's a lot of spaces in between and ambivalence that happen in those relationships. So I feel like accepting that ambivalence and then 
the other part, which is extremely important, and I even wrote a blog post about this, is managing the feelings of guilt and shame that come up from that, right? Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am someone who's bad. I am bad, right? Ooh, say that again, girl. <laughs> say that again. So, and it's important because people feel like they're the same thing, but they're actually not. They actually, they a lot of times come together, but they're they're different. Guilt is I did something bad, right? So sometimes, like it's okay to feel guilty. Like sometimes you say a lie. Sometimes you like do something like you're rude. I don't know, whatever, and you feel like guilty, and that's okay because guilty is like I did something that's wrong, that's bad. Shame is I am bad. Like who I am as a person is wrong. Oh my and God. that is destructive. Goosebumps right now. With that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've never heard that. I've never heard that differentiated. And I can only imagine like how many other people have never heard those, those differences between those two words. Cause those are very different. Those are very, very different. One is like, okay, this is what happened. Why are you really internalizing when it comes to shame? That's like, Oh, oh, of course, because this is the thing. Human beings, right, naturally, or at least like that is kind of how we started to be. We need authenticity. We are who we are, and we are in love with it when we're born, right? Then, of course, there's a variety of situations, right? There are people who don't identify with the body that they were born with. They're like, but... But even then, they're still like a way, like they're still appreciative of who they want to become because they, they, they actually mention those things because I'm like, this, this is not, I don't identify with this. I, I need it, like I want it to be different, right? So I have, I want to highlight those experiences as well, right? Where you can have this, you cannot be okay with the body that you were born with. You can identify with them different from your assigned like sex at birth. But then, we, we still want to be our authentic version. And when people tell us, tell us that's wrong, who you are is wrong, whether the color of your skin, whether your sex, your sexual orientation, you, how you manage your emotions, like anything, then you're like, oh, so this that I've been, you know, so proud of, because kids are proud of, them, of themselves, right, is not okay. So I need to change it. And then you start trying to become this person that people tell you that you should be in order to be good enough, in order to be accepted, in order for someone to tell you, okay, yes, that's exactly how I want you to be. But we can never make people 100% happy. We're not meant to do that. So you're never going to be met with that. You're perfect. Like you're great. Never change anything about you. And even if you become this perfect version that people like expect you to be, there's going to be that internal peace inside of you that's going to be resentful because it knows you're not being authentic. It knows it's a mask. It knows you're doing it to avoid other things and you are sacrificing who you are in order to gain that. And that creates resentment and that creates this a lot, like a lot of the self-loathing that comes because we'll never meet other people's expectations. So we have to handle that. But we also have that self-loathing of us betraying us is a whole different, which is another piece. Ooh. 
So I think one, a couple of things that I'm getting from what you're saying is one, obviously we have to remember that our parents are people too, right? Our family, whether it's your parents or whether it's your sisters or brothers or cousins or whatever, we're all human and they're not perfect. So we, I feel like, especially in our community, when you're growing up, we almost put our parents on this pedestal, right? That they know everything they know. And probably all kids do that. They know everything. They're out doing everything for me. and, and but. And then as we get older and we see the mistakes that our parents make, sometimes if it, depending on what our parents are telling us, it can make us resentful or it can make us like, okay, they are human. Or it can make us like, whoa, excuse me. You kept telling me this. And now I, now that I'm older, my eyes are open and I'm seeing you're doing all of this. Excuse me. (laughs) So much. Because, I, again, we could go into the topic of family for forever. Yeah. But it's this whole idea of, like, recognition, right, of what's going on, determining what we can change and what we cannot, healing our relationship with ourselves. And that is a whole deep concept. But I would invite this person we talked about, right, healing their toxic relationship. Kind of like when you talk, and I use this, it might sound a little bit weird, but I use this technique with my clients and it's actually quite helpful. So if someone's willing to have enough imagination, I think it could be helpful. When you criticize yourself, when you judge yourself, when you're unkind to yourself, try to imagine whose voice are you hearing in that moment? Is it your mom's voice telling you that you should wear this and this and that? Is it your sister, brother, sibling that was always in competition with you and needed to make you feel like you were never going to make it up to them? Like you were never going to compare to them, sorry. Is it your father? Is it that one coworker who told you this? Is it this one teacher who belittled you because you couldn't speak English or Spanish or whatever language that well, right? So try to see that voice and then say like, what would you say to that person? If that person were to tell you that now, like, what would be your response? Or if they were saying that to a friend, to your sister, to a family member, to whoever, right? I, I mentioned sister because I also have a sister. It's like, what would you say to them? How would you stand up for them? And they usually say, I wouldn't let anyone talk like that to, like, a person that I love. Then who are you? Then- and you should be loving yourself. <laughs> right? 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 Like, if you love yourself, then you should love yourself enough to not let anybody talk to you that way as well. Absolutely. And I tell people, we do not protect what we don't value. Mm. So if you don't protect yourself from these things, then it means that you don't see yourself with the worthiness that you have. And worthiness is something that you are. It's not something that you become. You are worthy the moment you open your eyes into this world. So that is something like I would invite this person to really try to connect with that inner worth to try to understand the narratives that people have placed upon us and see what do you want to do about them and then be also kind to yourself when you can't change everything like and you do um try to appease someone you do try to please someone because that's okay too right we cannot take on like years and years and a whole planet of people who have something to say about us at the same time so it's this again this in between of like yes understanding myself fighting for myself stepping into my authenticity and also being okay 
and compassionate when I don't. So part of loving yourself, especially when it comes to, well, any relationship, but even when it comes to your parents, is being able to figure out how to set those boundaries. How do you do that, especially with parents? How do you set up those boundaries? Because those, I think, are very different than, from, you know, friendship boundaries and and romantic relationship boundaries. How? What type of things would you suggest in regards to being able to kind of at least start making those boundaries, but also without breaking those familiar bonds at the same time? Of course. I feel like there... Okay, so something that I explain to my clients is like, you have internal boundaries and you have external boundaries, right? External boundaries have to do with other people. Internal boundaries have to do with yourself. So a lot of the times it's say with external boundaries, you could be like, say in in the most respectful way that you can, I am not willing to engage in this conversation. I cannot talk to you at this moment because the way that I'm going to reply to you is not something like it's not something that will make either of us happy it's the idea of like I need to take five minutes out of this conversation I need to step out to be able to say like this is what I can do and this is what I'm willing to allow and this is what the action that I'm going to take so if you continue talking to me this way I'm going to have to step out or these are things that I'm not willing to have a conversation with you or not at least in this manner. Like sometimes family loves to ambush you around one particular thing and you're like, I'm just here trying to have my breakfast and now you're asking me this existential question or like, or they try to probe you. Um, I think what you're saying is true because you like the internal and external, because sometimes you can set internal boundaries because you don't even have to say anything, right? You you just know what you're going to do without having to let them know. You're already setting things for yourself where you're like, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I actually have to leave now or whatever it is. And, and no one knows the wiser, but you're, for your own mental health, it is something that you've been able to do. Absolutely. Like there are moments in which, I'm with my family and they start engaging in a conversation that I really do not agree with. And, you know, sometimes I address it and I'm like, this is making me uncomfortable for X, Y, or Z reasons. But sometimes my mental health, my resources, whatever it's going on for me, it's not there. It's not there for being vocal. And that's also okay. And I'm like, what they're saying about this does not change the way that I relate to X, Y, or Z. Just because someone makes a comment oh are you this doesn't thankfully doesn't happen in my family but I know that it happens for other people like oh are you really gonna eat that are you really gonna wear that and, and I'm not gonna maybe in that moment start having a whole conversation with you as to like why you know my body why my clothes but I will be like yeah I'm going out with this and then have that mental boundary of myself like do not start questioning if you can eat this at this time because this person questioned you. That's not something we're allowed today. So that is the internal boundary that I set for myself and helps me to know that I got my own back, which I think is important. So let's shift over a little bit to toxic relationships when it comes to friendships, toxic friendships. What are the things that we should be looking for 
And how do we navigate either trying, like, what is worth repairing or when you have to break up with a friend? That is also, I feel like, I I feel like any situation (laughs) that involves a toxic relationship, I'm always going to be like, oh, because it's always. And it's so crazy because I know that like I've, everything that we've gone through, I know I've gone through all of it. And I can imagine how many other people have gone through all of these different things. But just, there's just different ways that we go through it. Of course. And, you know, there's been toxic friendships where I'm like, I have to let this friendship go. And then there's been somewhere I'm like, I just needed to extend, you know, how often I see this person and for how often, for how long I see this person. And then there's some where I'm, where I've had the conversation where I'm like, look, this, where there's been some where I had the internal boundary where they have no idea that I've even set this boundary. And I'm just like, nope, I'm not available or no, I can't. And if they don't question me, they're just like, okay. And then there's been some where I've had the conversation, look, this is what it is. And we've been able to move past it. But how would you suggest people figure out what those are? And how do you figure out like the things that we should be looking at when, if it's a toxic friendship or not? Because sometimes I don't even think we know if it's a toxic friendship. Until you get away, and then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like in toxic relationships with friends, I see a lot of similar behaviors that I see in romantic toxic relationships. Because this is also the other thing. A lot of people underplay the importance of friends, right? When friends are so relevant to who we are. Even if you're like a super outgoing or a super introverted person, it doesn't matter. Like your friendships are relevant. They are important, right? And those are the types of relationships that I feel like connect more or like have more similarities with the romantic relationships, right? The romantic toxic relationships. So a couple of things like, again, friendships are always going to have their problems. Like that's normal. Like people have unhealthy behaviors and that's okay. Like, it happens. It doesn't mean that it's a bad friendship. It's again, I feel like when I'm talking about a toxic relationship, I'm like, or like a toxic relationship, sorry, in the friendship, I'm like, I would ask the following questions like, who is this friendship serving to? So like, are we both getting something out of this friendship? Like, am I getting your support? Am I giving you my support? And are like, are we both trying to engage with each other as to like, when we meet up, how we meet up how do we manage when we have an issue like how how is that looking like for both people so like are you getting something out of this and are are also you giving back something to the other person I feel like also a little bit more obvious but they're still relevant like how like what are the reactions when someone gets angry like what is the language that gets used does the other person like diminish your worth do they do character assassination so they make you feel like they're the wor- you're the worst person in the world? Do they just like disappear and like do not contact you? Is this the sort of friend which you can still love very much? And this is, I feel like, the, the place in which you have to set your own internal boundaries and also external boundaries, which is the friend who only reached out to you to like vent. Yeah, they're great, they're fun and stuff, but like, Whenever they reach out to you, it's like, it's always a problem. It's always like something going on. They always need some sort of support and they need it now. And I'm not calling that type of person toxic, 
I'm saying like those can be like unhealthy behaviors that could lead to like, okay, these are my boundaries. This is how I'm going to manage that. But also a lot of the, I feel like a lot of what can let you know about the relationship is how do you manage when things don't work out for you? How do you manage discomfort? How do you manage a fight, a rift in the relationship? And I feel like that can let, like, that can let you to believe a lot. Like, that can let you to understand if you are with someone who wants to work towards something with you or they're just there for the convenience and whatever you're not convenient, they're like, I'm done. I recently had to set an external boundary. And this kind of leads into the romantic relationship part as well. Um, my friend is not a romantic relationship, but this leads into her romantic relationship, which led me to have to set an external boundary. And there's so many types of relationships that are toxic in regards to romantic relationships. And this is actually what kind of led me to say, let's talk about toxic relationships, this particular thing. So I have a friend who has been uh, in a relationship, an on and off relationship for five years. Literally, the first time I met this person, I did not like him. I just felt the energy. I was like, Mm-mm, no, no, no. And at that time, I was pretty much the only one that didn't like him. I'm not sure if her family really liked him. Her daughter didn't like him. But everybody else thought he was a good, like a nice guy. Every once in a while, he'd have whatever. But I was just like, nope, I don't like him. I don't know why. I just, the energy is not right. And lo and behold, like every time there's something that happens, something that, and he's always able. And this just, it frustrates me. I've been there. I've been in this type, not to this extreme, but I've been in this type of relationship where it's, you know, very disrespectful, but then he always talks his way back. He sweet talks you. He sweet talks you. Oh, I was drunk. Oh, I was this. Oh, I was that. Oh, I really didn't mean that. You got me mad. Why do you need to push? Right? Like what you're saying earlier in regards to people putting it on you, like making it feel like it's your fault. I had an ex who once told me that I, that he wasn't the one who made me cry. I made me cry. No joke. Girl, I see your eyes. I see your face. He's like, I didn't make you cry. You made yourself cry. That's what he would tell me. So just seeing this, I just see face to um, And so seeing a lot of these patterns, but even more so with my friends, this relationship that she is in, in and out of, I finally, like he disrespected my home when he was here. He disrespected me. And I literally had to tell him to his face that he was no longer welcome in my house. I don't think I've ever done that in my entire life. But I was like, you're no longer welcome here. I don't want you here. And I had to tell my friend, if he's around, I can't be around you. I had to have set a very hard boundary. And I mean that with the bottom of that heart. My, my feelings have not changed on that. When you see things like this and you feel like you can't pull away, like that's obviously a very toxic relationship. There's, there's been so many things that have happened and, People may not have had that extreme type of relationship. What can you do? Like, where are the signs before it even gets that far? What are the things that you can start seeing? And you've been there yourself and you said, you know, in it, you started seeing things and you just ignored it. But how do we 
How do we not ignore it? What are the things that we need to see? And how do we not ignore it? Or is that even possible? <laughs> In order to not go that far, that our friends have to have to set that type of boundary. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Let me tell you something. We see the signs, but usually, or I'm going to talk about my example, I saw the red flags, I put on my rose-colored glasses, and I was like, those are very deep shade of pink flags. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's They're so kind of cute. They're kind of cute. You know, like... That's great. <laughs> so um, I actually, like, disclaimer, I saw that on a meme on the internet. I was like, that is literally what happened to me. I was like, no, they're, they're great. They're absolutely fantastic. So this is the thing. There is a lot that can lead you to understand that this, like, something is a toxic relationship. But, and this is like a very deep topic, but it's still like extremely relevant. Usually those, the potential for danger, the potential for hurt is what sometimes draws to those relationships. So that particular thing that you should be, you should be aware of are the things that actually start to pull you in on an unconscious level. It's not that you see like, ooh, this person's gonna treat me like trash. Let me go there. Like, no, that's not how it's yes, gonna let be. Me like, be a dumpster. For like, all yes, I'm ready to be a mat. This is where I'm like <laughs> a doormat. Like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Like, no, 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 no. That's not. That's not at all what happens, right? But a part of you, and this is something that I see in almost like ninety nine percent of the people that I work with. There are some deeper wounds that since they have not been addressed completely, since they have not been healed completely, pull you towards that person because you're more drawn to heal. You think, you think unconsciously, I am more likely to heal this wound by re-experiencing it and remastering it and mastering it. Sorry. So I am going to go through this so I can learn my lesson and never go through it again. But this is all happened again unconsciously and something super important. This is not to victim blame. This is not to say, oh, these people end up in these situations because of their fault. That's not what I'm saying. There are, there are systems of machismo, you know, misogyny, like, patriarchy like that make it like normalize it for individuals to go through this so this is this is not to say like oh it's your fault however it is also to acknowledge that usually that pain that trauma potentiates the intensity in which can potentiate the intensity in which that those particular traits pull you in. But that is what's happening like very on an unconscious level. On a conscious level, right? It's this whole belief of it's this whole experience, sorry, of this is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. Literally this person is going, I love you after like two weeks of dating. This person is suddenly like 
staying over without even you having to have this conversation. Like they're talking to you about future plans. They're telling you I've never connected with you before. They want to spend time with you. There are all of these things that media has led us to believe like this is what a relationship should look like. And also I feel like this glorification in like shows and like movies and like songs that we be- we start with a push and pull and then we realize we have this like super amazing like chemistry and it turns out you're the one of my life and like blah blah like I feel that also creates like ooh this adrenaline is what I'm supposed to be feeling at the beginning of a relationship yeah. and, and adrenaline is very different from like love like of course you're supposed to feel this rush and the hormones and all of that but this whole like like you feel like a part of you feels maybe this is going a little bit too fast or even if you don't feel it then your friends or family around you will probably say like are you sure this is this is supposed to be going this way have you talk about it i feel that it starts with that general feeling of course we like i can list um to you and for the people who listen to us like some specific behaviors that i see but i don't know if you have any observations about that narrative that I'm telling you? I mean, no, I totally do. Because when you were saying that subconscious thing, that darker thing that draws us in, I was thinking about this one particular relationship that I had mentioned before that I was in and how he never physically touched me. I now consider it a very mentally and emotionally abusive relationship. But uh, there was always that fear that he could he didn't ever he didn't even ever raise his hand towards me but internally I there was still that fear like he possibly could right and this is the same guy that said that he's not making me cry I'm making myself cry like I went through the end of that relationship I was in this relationship for about three years in the end of this relationship I was a complete shell of myself like the person I was at the beginning versus the person I was at the end, he wouldn't even recognize me. And just to be around him all the time, I was going out more often. I was drinking more often. And my friends were saying something. They were, But he was never disrespectful with my friends. My friends really liked him. He never did any of these things in front of my friends. It was always when it was just us, right? It was, And so that was the difference in regards to my like what was going on with my friend, how he, her, that relationship he's done in front of everybody. And basically from what I understand, like everybody who was, who was there that day there, they've all said he's no longer welcome in their homes either. But he's, but my experience was my then boyfriend never did it. Any of that in front of my friends. He was very charming. Everybody liked him. And he, and then, and it wasn't even all the time. And I'm trying not to, I'm not trying to make an excuse. It wasn't even all the time that he would, do this because there was times where he was most of the time he was very lovely and very awesome and we had a great time and he was goofy but then there was definitely still a significant part of that time right because even if it's 80 20 20 is way too much to be in that that funk in that relationship that's not providing anything for me for you right it was just me feeling like and then the, the longer the relationship went on, the more shitty I felt about myself. So, but no, I mean, I, I, yes, that was, that's my insight in regards to that. But I would love for you to be able to share some of those, some of those traits that people could maybe, they may have never even thought of those, 
or have, yeah. but didn't, you know, but then you question yourself, is this real? Am I, am I making things up? Yes, absolutely. And that is why, like, I'm writing this book on toxic relationships. And I'm like, this is, this is how it kind of looks like. These are the effects that it usually has. So some of the toxic behaviors, right, that I see, um, first, in one way or another, there is a disrespect for, like, boundaries. Whatever they are, like, physical, emotionally, like, emotional, your time with your family, with whatever, they, this person, one way or another, disrespects certain boundaries, right? Physical boundary, your emotional boundaries, like, whatever it is that you've tried to, like, establish, they usually try to cross a couple of those boundaries, right? There's also this idea of control. Who are you going out with? Why are you going out with this person? Why are you talking? Why are you using your phone at this time of the night? Like, why do you buy that? Like, yo, you went there without me? Like, that's rude. Like, that feeling of like, you, you belong to me. So why, like, that sense of desire of control. But don't you, like, also, that's almost twofold, right? Because I feel like we have this sense of flattery when somebody treats us like that. Yes, yes, because it's the normalizing, especially in the Latinx community. I'm going to talk about, right, what I know, that I can talk about other uh, cultures. The Latinx community has a, like, has made it romantic for someone to control you. Oh, no te cela, el no te cela, o ella no te cela, then no te ama. Like, if they're not jealous, like, they don't love you. If, if it means, like, if he lets you go out with your friends like that, or if she lets you go out with your friends like that, and, like, it's not mad, then you, my, like, my friend, are being, like, someone's, like, they're having an affair. Yes, oh my gosh, I was about to say, like, oh, well, they're letting you do it because they want to do it, too, because they want to, oh, yes. Yes. So what, and I, and I know that because in some of my relationships, like, being completely honest, someone who, you know, try, like, thankfully, as I've been doing this work, like, it has become easier and easier for me to not fall into those traps. But I remember myself being like, oh, but... I told them that I was going to do this and this and that, and they didn't say anything about it. Like, mm, what? Do I not matter to you? Don't you love me? Like, what? Like, this whole need of, like, but that is what love is measured by. And that, again, is this whole culture of, like, machismo and violence that has been normalized in the dating community, right? They need to, like be they it's okay for them to control you it's okay for them to be jealous it's okay for like men to do this it's okay for women to do this as well right because it's again also this behavior of um not accepting certain things that come from women and being like oh that's totally normal as well like jealousy from a woman like again this whole stereotype that like latina women are like super jealous like or they're like super i love it when they say they're feisty I'm like, what do you mean when you say feisty? <laughs> like, let's let's explore that. Like, what does that even mean? And it's this whole idea of it's okay for you to have these unhealthy patterns because that is what love looks like. 
right? And it affects, again, both men and women, because then men who are not exhibiting some of those behaviors, women are like, oh, then that's not, they don't love me, right? Or I'm, I'm speaking in such a heteronormative way. But to also, to... <laughs> they don't love well. me if they don't act a particular way. Exactly. It's also like, it's a, also there's a lot of studies that in the LGBTQ plus community, it's also, there are different <laughs> rules, but, right, let me go back into gender neutral. If they don't love me, if they don't argue with me, if they don't fight me, if they're, like, not doing all of this, then they it's don't It's too easy. Me. Something must be wrong. It's too exactly. easy. Exactly. It's too easy. Like, oh my God, they're so good. So it, there's nothing thrilling about that there's no adventure like where's the chase pasión. I, i'm just like i think we're looking at this all wrong <laughs> like what so but again it's it's those all like different like cultural levels that also happen and this is not to say again that the latinx community is more or less like enabling of violence than others but it is something definitely to be mindful of and going back to the list so like Manipulation, someone who does not hold, them, hold themselves accountable for their actions, Girl, and they actually try to pin it on you, like oh, you said. No joke, this is like exactly this guy that I was telling you about, my friends, I don't even know what's happening yet. He didn't even apologize, he spilt an entire beer on my couch, fell asleep, and spilt an entire beer and tried to blame somebody else. And still, to this day, has not ever apologized. Like, does not apologize. Just was like, well, how, I'll buy you a new couch. How much was your couch? I'm like, I'm not asking you to buy a new couch. I'm asking you to apologize, and you can't even do that or take responsibility. It's mm-hmm, so huge. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then there's this whole concept of gaslighting, right? In which it almost, well, it is. Like, they're brainwashing you. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I heard but I didn't really say it, say it like that. That's not really what it, what happened. Oh, and I and I would be like, no, there's the here's the evidence. This is what happened. No, that's not how it happened. Are you trying to like this? This is you trying to guilt me again. This is you. Trying I didn't to make you cry. Again. You made yourself cry. Right, right. And I cannot tell you on my couch how many of my clients have told me certain things, and I'm like. Like, this makes no absolute, like, no sense. However, it's done so consistently and with other tactics, right? Of, like, making you, un- like, not trust yourself. In which you're like, but maybe, maybe they didn't do it like that. Maybe, no, like, maybe, yeah, this is just, this only happened this one time. Maybe it was maybe, my fault. It was my fault. I earned it. If only I had not done this, then they wouldn't have. They only do this because they love me. Ooh. Oh my God. Or my favorite. No, I got to do this because I got to teach you. I got to teach you to never do this again. I got to teach you because unless I treat you like this, you're never going to learn. So what is a way, this, this is another question that came in that could relate to this as well. How can you make someone realize or let them know they're toxic in, a pro, in an appropriate way? Or is that something you're even able to do? I feel like it really depends because, again, I try to always differentiate toxic behaviors from toxic relationships. Like, 
we all have the capacity of having toxic behaviors. Like I told you, like you could be a wonderful human being and for example, have this understanding of jealousy like we just spoke about that it's like, oh, it's normal, but it's a toxic behavior. And sometimes through a relationship as to saying like, okay, listen, these are my boundaries. This is what's going on. Let me let me know your story. Like, what is behind jealousy? Who taught you, you know, in a very compassionate and loving way, who taught you that this was love? How do you feel about that? Okay, how can we make it work in the relationship? Because I feel like this is hurting us more than it's helping us, right? So I feel like definitely there is space to talk to someone and dismantle toxic behaviors. So if it's someone who you have a healthy relationship with, but you see that there are a couple of like unhealthy behaviors, something that like feels a little bit like iffy or like weird, then I do invite to be like, okay, let me, let me hear from you. Let me hear why this works for you, right? Or why you think this works for you. Then I'm going to share with you my experience. And then we're going to try to figure something out because this is becoming a roadblock to our friendship, to our relationship, to whatever, right? But when we're talking about toxic relationships, and this is a very important trap that a lot of people fall into, I fell into as well. And that I feel like kept me very stuck in a longer process than I ever should have gone through. This is whole idea of like, I have to show you. Because if I show you that you're hurting me, then you'll stop, right? Because if you love me, then of course you're going to stop once you see what this is going through. Or I'll, I'll, be, I'll start changing. I'll start having healthy behaviors. I'll start like addressing and being loving and calming and compassionate and all of that. And then I'll be worthy of you treating me better. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, that is a trap that I fell into for a long time. Like I need to prove that I am a human being worthy of love. I have to prove that I don't deserve to be treated this way. And sadly that, well, sadly for, because it was very painful, but also like, I feel like I was very grateful that it didn't work out because it allowed me to step out and, you know, continue my healing. I never got to convince that person in that time that this was going on, that this was hurting me, that this was wrong, right? So I feel like you can bring it up to someone, but I wouldn't put the responsibility or the weight into having them understand it because we can change people. Or sometimes like people cannot see what they're not willing to see or what they're unable to see. And we cannot, we cannot use that as a trap to stay in that relationship, waiting for them to change or being like putting the responsibility on us to be the ones to show them the way. That is like how to be better. I think we all like, we put on ourselves a lot too, right? Oh, well, I can change him. I can make, I can make that person see the error of their ways. Oh, they love me. So they want to change for me. My back and forth with that relationship that I had referenced before was and this is like this just shows how unhealthy it was and how fucked up I was in my head in that time. Where it was that one side of well if I break up with him and he doesn't fight for me, what am I gonna do? What if he doesn't fight for me? Oh my God. 
And then the other half of my brain was like, bitch, if he doesn't fight for you, why do you want to be with somebody like that anyways? Right? It was this whole split mind thing. And I, and I couldn't, like, I was at the point where I realized this was not a relationship, but it was so hard to break free from that. My particular realization when I did that was, it was just like the smallest thing. We were supposed to go to this big ball called the margarita ball. And I kept telling him like, don't cancel last minute. Don't cancel. Just tell me if you don't want to go, that's fine. And of course, last minute, a week before, even though I've been telling him he cancels and I find out all this, you know, whatever. And so I end up going with three guy friends. When I was there at that ball with my friends, I had so much fun and it clicked in my head. If I was with him, I wouldn't have been having as much fun as I was having. And that was finally like the realization that I needed to let it go. And I knew it was going to suck. And I didn't call him. And when he called me back, I, when he finally called me after a couple of days, he's like, why haven't you called me? I said, oh, well, I've been doing whatever. And I told him, oh, yeah, I had three dates. And he was all upset. Why do you mean you had three dates? And then when I told him that I realized that it helped me realize that I wasn't going to die not being with him, literally, I said, you know, it's going to hurt like hell, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to survive not being with you. He was in such shock because I'd never said anything like that to him before. And he was so trying to convince me, what are you talking about? You make it sound like you're a burden to me. I'm. Why do you think that blah, blah, blah? And I was just like, look, we both know my feelings for you are way more than your feelings for me. And why do I need to keep going through it? It was just like all of a sudden I realized that. And that's sometimes the sucky thing is when we have friends that we're seeing, we have family that we're seeing going through this. We can't do anything for them. They have to realize it themselves and be ready. When people get to that point where they're ready, what are some things that you think can help being able, because everybody has their own experience, and that was my experience with that particular thing. And every relationship can be different. What are some things that you think can help to be able to break break the chains, so to speak, those emotional chains? to be able to move forward? I mean, I think you mentioned so many important things, and I'm going to try to, you know, I think there are several things, right? The first thing, which was very important for me, was to understand that I could absolutely love this person, adore them, because I did, and also understand that what was happening was wrong. And also to know that, there are other areas of that person that are beautiful and charming. This is not to say like, oh, this person that I was with was the most terrible human being. No, because you don't fall in love with a terrible human being. But I feel like it's important to recognize that this person is a whole human being that has those wonderful aspects, but somehow that wonderfulness is selective around you for whatever reason. And that you can sit with that love and with also that pain of it not being the right thing for you. I feel like that's the first thing. Like people try to rush into like the hate or the absolute love, or they try to like make this person as the most horrible person in the world. And sometimes people can be pretty terrible. 
but I feel like in those in those moments in which there is a little bit more nuance as to like what goes on, the love, the feelings, the stories, the intertwining of all of that. I feel like we need to sit with that because that's the reality, right? Then another thing that I feel it's important is to understand that you can have empathy for someone and at the same time not be responsible for them. You can have empathy for their pain. You can have empathy for the story that led them to be this way or for whatever other things are going on with them. You can have appreciation, love, cherishment towards what they brought into their relationship and the memories that you have. And you can understand that it could be difficult for them and that there is so much healing that needs to happen. You can have empathy for that, but it doesn't make you responsible for their change or their well-being. You're not, you're not a terrible human being because you don't want to be with someone or you walk away from someone. Because sometimes you're like, oh, this is something that thoughts that I had that my um, clients have, which is like, I cannot leave them like that. They the loyalty, me. the loyalty factor comes in and in. Absolutely. They need me. And I'm like, they don't. <laughs> they could actually do quite well without you. Or maybe they don't. But usually they find a way to make it through. And then that hits a whole different ego wound, but that's completely different. And sometimes they don't, but it's not your responsibility to save anyone. It isn't. You can help, you can guide, you can be there, you can support, but you cannot save anyone. The other thing that I think it's important is to set down, like to set, again, boundaries. Boundaries that support the decision that you need to make, right? You're like, okay, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't, you know, this is not working. I need to do something different. The relationship needs to end and sit down as to why it doesn't work. This, I actually like go through these steps by step in the book of Gaza because I was like, okay, but what if you don't know what you need to do? And I'm like, okay, let's start doing that. Recognize what's not working, right? A specific evidences. This is, these are the instances in which this has happened. This has been the reaction because sometimes we're like, oh, if I just address it, I'm like, what is, what is the precedent? How has that looked like before? Then how am I, like, how do I want to end this, right? Kind of like understand how you want to manage that. Then afterwards, how can I take care of myself? Because like you said, and I relate to that feeling oh, so much, like you feel like you're going to die without that. Is the most painful heartbreak that you can experience right for some people it's like a lot of relief right and they don't feel the pain after way afterwards or some people don't ever and that's also okay because they're like no I'm, I'm so done I could never have this happen to me like I cannot I need to walk away but usually it comes with a lot of pain and it feels like you're gonna die from it it physically like your heart hurts so much I remember it was sleepless nights it was the crying and I was like are the memories ever going to stop is this ever going to stop and then it was like and then it did it didn't destroy me when I thought it would 
doesn't take away the fact that it was like extremely terrible, <laughs> but it didn't destroy me. Like you said, I won't die without you. I don't depend on you. That was the insight that I had to understand. It's like, I'm not your prisoner. Not the thing with pretending or forcing you to be that. But in my head, I'm like, I was like, I am chained to you. Like this, I'm doomed. Like this is how it's going to be. I am the one who is like literally putting the chain around you and give it like, and I'm like, I have the key in my hand and I'm like, oh, if I'm like, get like away from this. And all of my friends are like, you know, you have the key, right? Like you can walk away from this. And I'm like, what the key? <laughs> so, and of course I want to, I want to mention that some people don't have that easy, right? Safety, financial safety, physical safety, kids, immigration status. Like, I don't want to say like, oh, you're not walking away from this just because you don't want to. Like, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. I want to put that in. These are just our instances and the instances where you do have that. The instances, exactly. Which you do have that ability without compromising your safety. Which I think is a super important thing to, like, to mention. But it's this idea of, like, I don't, this does not have to be my destiny. Like, people are like, no, but they're my soulmate. I'm like, first of all, I don't believe there's just one soulmate. Second of all, I doubt that if there was one soulmate, it was created for your misery. Mm. You don't need to have, like, you're not a, you're not a tonish, like, this is not your atonement for who you are, for your decisions, for your wounds, for your, like, this is, you're not, you don't need to atone yourself through this person. Right? Because sometimes we're like, we have this idea of like, we're not enough or that we were so terrible or that we made so, so many of these mistakes. So I need to pay for it. Oh, I totally said that. I used to say he was my karma. And I'm like, mm, it's, it's not your karma. It's your trauma. <laughs> <laughs> right? There you go. It was. Right? It was, girl. Okay. Let, I'm going to, let's end with that because. I think that's so powerful. It's not your karma, it's your trauma. And we have to learn really, because there's going to be, look, I feel part two coming on after this episode's released. <laughs> I already know, right? I And I totally look forward to hearing what people's feedback is because we're just barely scratching the surface. With oh my God, yeah. Barely scratching the surface. How, two things before we, we end. Um, how do you only work with people in the Dominican Republic? because I know that's where you were at. And also, how can people reach you? Of course. Um, so I currently am doing my therapy with in, like Dominicans, right? But I do have an international like coaching practice that I do have with people who are outside of the Dominican Republic. So I would invite if anyone is like curious about the work that I do, just reach out to me and kind of like, um, you know, we can figure something out. I'm also, I'm thinking about this. I don't know. I haven't like really released it, but I'm considering doing like a coaching group after I release my workbook as to how to manage with toxic relationship to help individuals who want to like really go through that process. And that's something that I plan on opening up to anyone who wants to process that. And for the people who want to learn more about me and kind of like reach out or connect or like know uh, about the work that I do. Um, they could find me at my Instagram, which is, which has my, my brand name, which is Resiliencia Vital. If you could write that in the book, in the show, show notes. notes, they will be in the yeah. show notes. <laughs> Cause let me tell you, spelling, 
it's not my forte, the R's, the I's, the I, it, it just gets like complex <laughs> for me. But it's Resiliencia Vital. It's also the same name of my webpage, resilienciavital.com. It has a Spanish version and an English version. Um, there I have my blog. I also have a YouTube channel that you can find by that name. So I'm around and I love hearing from people, answering questions. Um, and this is my passion. I love to serve in this way. And I am also honored when people want to make me part of their stories. And it just helps me to support other individuals. It helps me to understand different needs. It helps me to expand my knowledge. So I am open to like feedback, question, comments, like anything that anyone wants to reach out. I am willing and able <laughs> um, to share uh, my experience and to listen to other people. Well, we always end with, we begin with wine and we end with the wine. So I know you're not drinking today, but what is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rosé? Okay, so... I love red. I have a complicated relationship with it because it always makes me sweat. But I love red. <laughs> Any particular type of red? Um, if you know, like I, I am so open to all types of red. Like this is the thing. I am. I love all. Like I enjoy alcohol. So, um, like I love blends. I like. Um, red wines are a little bit more on the dr like dry side. I like those who are a little bit on the sweeter side. So, I love a all. Bit of I am inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Alejandra, thank you so much. I enjoy this. Like I said, we are just I love scratching this. the surface of everything. And I cannot wait to hear what, you know, people's feedback. But there will definitely be a part two, maybe part three, part four. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe next time we can get people on. And have, and have it like more interactive. Who knows? But I appreciate you so much. I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the Wine and Cheese Man podcast. And mi gente, until next time. Bye. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Man podcast. I told you, you are not going to want to miss out listening to the whole thing. As always, the links to the website and social media will be included in the show notes because I'm sure there are plenty of you that want to reach out to Alejandra. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via our website at thewineandcheesemitpodcast.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at The Wine and Cheesemit and Facebook and LinkedIn at The Wine and Cheesemit Podcast. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemit, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are always appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos.